thanks to our sponsor, ShareGate. Do you know how many files are shared outside your organization? Do you know which of your groups and teams are actually being used? Are you sure that every team in your tenant is a valid owner? Do you know why your users create new teams in Microsoft 365 groups? ShareGate's got your back. After helping thousands of customers move to Office 365, they've learned that success in the cloud involves more than just migration. And that's why they created ShareGate Apricot, an automated governance platform for Microsoft Teams and Microsoft 365 groups. ShareGate Apricot can help you answer questions like these without placing unnecessary restrictions on your users. With ShareGate Apricot, get full visibility across each team's lifecycle from creation all the way through to archival. Automate manual tasks involved in identifying problem areas like inactive or orphan teams and collaborate team owners on corrective measures to keep your teams tidy and secure. And that's why they've also combined ShareGate Desktop, their trusted migration and content management tool with ShareGate Apricot in a single subscription so that you have everything that you need to be successful in the Microsoft Cloud. This is the Microsoft Cloud Show, episode 414. Today, CJ and I are gonna talk about new Windows, new Visual Studio, and Microsoft Cloud News recorded live June 18th, 2021. Good day, CJ. How's it going? Very well. Good morning. Well, it took me a second to figure out exactly what day it was because it was <laughs> kind of do you, we're recording a day off from when we normally record because you and I had a little conflict yesterday and I had started doing our notes and I was like, wait, is that today's date or is that yesterday's date? So regardless, just a scheduling conflict, not like a oh no, I got issues. You know, I got issues with you, man. Conflict. I got problem. Uh, okay, <laughs> we're gonna have we it out. We talk this out. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all good. It's all good. How's it going, man? What you been up to? Ah, it's been very good, actually. Very good. I am doing some contract work for a company here in Seattle and um, getting stuck into that. Completely different type of, not completely different tech, I suppose, but completely different business. It's a gaming business. Mm. So it's um, gaming with a bunch of cloud services and things. Oh, fun. That build these really big sort of high-end indoor golf simulators mm. doing a bunch of cloud services with them and and um, things like that so yeah so sort of keeping my techie side of my brain alive and working with them and yeah it's and then obviously end of the school year here in the US dealing with all the fallout and carnage of that end of a, end of my fifth grader finishing at elementary school and things like that so it's been a been a uh, exciting week i suppose the fun it's fun doing the it's healthy i think it's mentally healthy for those of us devs like stepping out and working in an area that is maybe using the same tech totally different yeah i mean yeah. you're still using like i'm assuming you're still doing like a .net type stuff and you're still doing the same kind of of tech but it's a different scenario it's not collaboration it's something different so it's like it still exercises a different part of your brain and stuff that you have yeah. to deal with so that's cool yeah there's very there's all sorts of different things in there right because all of the game example for example is tech that i've never touched before mm. so it's it's all c plus plus and you know hardcore stuff as i'd like to call it yeah but um a lot of you know cloud services and azure and all that sort of stuff is you know, tech i'm familiar with just a different type of application for it so it's it's really fun actually it's great very cool very cool yeah how about you what's going on on alderaan you've got an alderaan t-shirt i do it's a little toasty actually it's pretty appropriate in florida today because it is it was i mean it was only 75 degrees in freedom units when i went out for a run this morning but oh my god the humidity is i need a machete to get through it it's just I was soaking Just wet. Like swimming, th swimming through soup. Yeah, like it's so bad right now, and I won't disgust anybody. So it's so bad right now that when you're done with your run, 
before you sit down to have something to eat or, you know, rehydrate or whatever, I have to go into our shower and I, I have a, like a hairband, even though I shave my head, I have like a hairband to keep the sweat from rolling in my eyes. Uh, yeah, I, gotcha. I have to take my shirt off and my sweatband off and wring them out in the shower because if I just hang them up to dry out, they create a puddle underneath them. <laughs> so it's like, wow. My wife's like, what are these two wow. puddles in the shower? It's like somebody's got a shower, but the rest of the shower is dry. I'm like, yeah, that's my sweat. And she's like, uh, you're going to get rid of that? I'm like, I will be getting a shower, but not yet, not until I stop sweating. Oh, but, funny. Um, funny. Yeah, so I got two bits to share. One, it's just a, neither one of them are work related. One of them was, it started out to be fun and then it turned into being, oh my God, a chore. I helped our, the swim facility where my kids are, are members of at the club where they, they um, swim on a competitive swim team. I helped them get their wireless set up between three buildings and all outside and mm. using like Unify gear and using one of the, one of the brand new that's incredibly hard to get their hands on, the U6 long range radio mm. that is big. Yep. I mean, that thing is like this big. It's a sizable wow. radio. But it was like involved running conduit, 150 feet of conduit, drilling through three outdoor walls. is a lot of work. I thought it would be like a half day work. I was there for 13 hours on Saturday and another five hours on on Monday. <laughs> wow! <laughs> so just like we should, just like we my, should do my, a deep dive show on on our Unify setups. Oh, we totally should. Like you and I are both huge proponents and fans of the Ubiquity Unify system and kit for home networking. Yeah, and I think we've both got plenty of gear. We could talk about, like, I've just put in a Unify camera. You've got a bunch of cameras. You've done the swim setup stuff as well. So we should probably do a deep dive on that because we get asked about Unify a lot mm-hmm. by by various friends and others looking to get into sort of a bit of a higher-end prosumer type mm-hmm. hardware setup for home. Oh, we totally should. But, yeah, like this year during the pandemic, like I heard a bunch of people talking about how yeah, the Wi-Fi at home was terrible and the networking was terrible. Oh, man, mine was bulletproof. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't have any issues. Same. So we could do a deep dive show on that. It'd be, it'd be fun. Yeah, let's do it. We haven't done a geek out in a while, so we should definitely do that. Yeah. So that was, that was one bit of my life. The other bit is I started to show this to you before our show. We're in the midst of like remodeling our kitchen or like refreshing yeah. our kitchen. And so it's mm-hmm. we've got the, the classic like contractor grade appliances that, well, frankly, my wife has been complaining about since we moved in 12 years ago. Yeah, yeah. And so we had like somebody come in instead of replacing all the cabinets, we had some a group come in and painted the cabinets. They look brand new, which is awesome. Mm. New countertops, new sink. But with this project, we chose to kind of be our own general contractor. Mm-hmm. Kind of regret it, but not complaining <laughs> too much about it. Like my wife is going to do the painting for the on the in the walls. But like the guy's installing yeah. the countertop and I'm like, sweet. So you put this in here? Yeah. And he goes, and your plumber's going to install like your sink and do all the plumbing and stuff again. And I'm like, my plumber. I'm the plumber. <laughs> well, crap. It's like, here we go. So, and of course, nothing fit the way it was supposed to, the way it was from the old stuff. We went from a double sink to a single sink, which by the way, thanks for the pictures. Love the black sink now. Yeah. So it was just, there's a bunch of little things. But last Friday, we had our, uh, all the appliances were delivered, all but one. And it was a refrigerator, a double wall oven, a microwave, and a new cooktop. And so... We had tried to find stuff from a different place, a couple different places. If anybody's tried to do this right about now, it is very hard to get your hands on appliances just because of pandemic and stuff mm. coming from overseas. So the first set that we wanted to do, which is stuff that you have in your house, ironically, when I looked at your pictures, I was like, my God, they have the same oven and the same stuff that we wanted to do. Huh. It was impossible to get. It was like, what's the ETA on this being on back order? And they're like, there is no ETA. We don't know when we're going to have this again. Like, 
And we checked everywhere. I was like, all right, forget this. We're going to go on to the next the, uh, our, you know, backup. So they deliver everything. We end up finding the, a bunch of stuff we wanted. We had to buy it from a couple different places, get it delivered. So a couple different big box hardware stores. We tried like specialty kitchen stores and stuff yeah. and ended up finding it had the best success with Home Depot and Lowe's. So Lowe's delivers the dishwasher. We get it installed about a month ago. Fantastic. The rest of the stuff shows up from Home Depot. We had to order it online. We couldn't go to the store and do it. No problem. Except when you order online, we had the option of, do you want it hauled away? And do you want installation? And for some of the stuff, mm-hmm. I'm like, I got no problem doing it myself. But for some stuff, I was like, I do not want to do that particular item. That's no thank you. Do not want to do it. Too big. Too too mm-hmm. big. Or just too, like something's too intimidating with it, whatever. Sure. And so we chose that on a bunch of them. Specifically chose that for the oven, the double wall oven. So these two dudes show up last Friday. And he's like, right, we got four things for you. We got a double wall oven. We got a microwave. We got a cooktop. We got a refrigerator. I'm like... Yep. Sounds good. Sweet. Comes in the kitchen. Here's where it all goes. Pretty self-explanatory. Yep. He's like, so what are we hauling away? I'm like, you're hauling away the double wall oven. Because a refrigerator, we might give that to somebody that's easy to go with. But that this double wall oven, man, this thing is just, if anybody's ever messed with one of these, it's freaking heavy as Big, hell. Painful. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, I don't want to deal with this. Just, I'm not going to try and make a few bucks and sell them on next door or whatever. And he's like, oh, we can't install anything. I'm like, I'm sorry, what? (laughs) Line item here on my invoice says installation in Holloway. And he's like, no, we can't touch that. Home Depot won't let us touch that. I'm like, you're delivering from Home Depot. He goes, no, 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 we're contracted. I'm like, oh, my God. And it's one of those situations where you want to look at the guy and you want to just like start screaming and arguing with him. But you know that he has no control over this. He's simply, he's got the work order. He's doing it. And it's somebody else you got to go fight with. And I'm just, I looked at him and I'm like, okay, so how's this? Can you haul away the old oven? He's like, I can't because it's still in the wall and you can't, I can only take it if it's already out. I'm like, okay, I got a deal for you. You and your buddy right here. He's like, I said, how many more stops you guys got? And he goes, this is our last stop. And I'm like, I got a deal. How about this? How about I'll go flip the breaker. I'll unscrew the stuff in this double wall oven, pull it out. I give you guys a hundred bucks. I'll go up to 200. Didn't say that. I was like, I'll give you guys a hundred bucks, take it out, haul it away and help me lift the new one in. I can't do it. I'm like, yeah. no, dude, I won't. I will shut my cameras off. Nobody will see it. I won't tell anybody I did it. I'll pay for it cash. Just between you and me, man, it's all good. In fact, I got a couple beers yeah. in the fridge outside. You can take with you if you're done. He's like, yeah, I can't do it. I'll lose my job. I'm like, so uh, for the last week, I have a brand new double wall oven <laughs> that is in a big box in the middle of my kitchen. With my old double oven still in there. Everything else is done. He goes, we, uh, he goes, we can install the fridge. And I'm like, you freaking roll it in and you plug it in. I mean, that's like, there's nothing there. Yeah, and, yeah. and the oven is the same way. If you, so anybody that's on the call, anybody that's listening to this, if you want to understand like what is such a pain, like I already, I installed the cooktop, no big deal. It's a hole in the cabinet or a hole in the countertop. You just drop it in, hook up the wiring, flip the breaker, good to go. Had to do some cabinet modifications to get it to fit, but hey, it's, it's all good. A double, an oven is also very easy to install conceptually. It is, it's on its own breaker. You just hook up the wires. They're exposed wires. Kill the breaker at the fuse box. White goes to white. Red goes to red. Black goes to black. Green goes to green. Very simple. Yep. Slide it in. Other way. Other way around. Other way around. Huh? I'm not kidding. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I've done this before. I, I, I have at the beginning of the pandemic, our oven broke, and we didn't want a repair guy in the house working on stuff. And so I was like. I got to be able to do this. And this is back when like everything just kind of stopped. So I'm like, you know, we're just kind of hanging out at home. I was like, I'm going to figure this out. Yeah. So we pulled the oven out a couple times, 
but didn't take it all the way out of the cavity and stuff. I'll explain why in a second. But I replaced like a two circuit boards and a fan and a couple other things on this on the oven that we currently have and pushed it back in the wall and everything was fine. So I'm not intimidated by doing this. The thing about it is that it's heavy and it's awkward and it's yeah, it's a two, it's a big it is a two man job. But the problem is is that when it's heavy, like I have a bad back that I've I've hurt in the past. It's one of those things that you it is just high enough off the ground in the wall where you can't mm. you can't lift with your legs. You have to stand, you're upright to do it. And so you have to lift with your arms and your shoulders something that's mm. pretty damn heavy and then setting it down. And then you have to pick the new one up and lift it and set it in. There's no like standing on your tiptoes to kind of do anything to get this. It's like, it's the awkward height to mm. get it. And gotcha. I just... I looked at my wife and I'm like, we got to find somebody to do this. This is, I will do the cooktop. Yeah. I will do the refrigerator. I will do the microwave. No big deal. But, but that thing, that yeah. thing, we're finding a guy. So thankfully we found a guy nice. who's going to be here tomorrow to, to install it. But for now, we've got a beautiful oven in the middle of our kitchen right now. <laughs> a nice box mm. in the middle of your kitchen. Yeah. yeah. So awesome. <laughs> just, it's just frustrating. You just kind of look and at it. He's like, I'm sorry, man. Goes, and a fight on your hands to, to get a refund for your install fee. Yeah. Which, you know, you go back and look at it with the amount of money you spend on the entire thing. And I just looked at my wife and I'm like, you're like, is my frustration worth it? Yeah. I looked at her and I said, you fight this. She goes, just on principle, I want to have this battle. I'm like, go for it. She goes, if you were doing it, what would you do? And I'm like, I got enough stuff on my plate. I'm not trying to get 75 bucks. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but still painful. It is painful. It's painful. It's just annoying. But at any rate, Hey, speaking of moving on. Yeah. How about we let's get into it. eh? Let's get into it. This episode is brought to you by Raygun. Are you under increasing pressure to ship code faster than ever before? Then it's time to work smarter with Raygun's modern approach to error and performance monitoring. Raygun gives you instant visibility into the health of your software. And what makes it so unique is that not only it tells you when something's gone wrong, it shows you exactly where it's gone wrong and how to fix it right down to the line of code. Made by developers for developers, Raygun has built a suite of monitoring tools that are used and loved by thousands of software teams every day. Monitor every corner of your tech stack with widespread language support and native integrations with GitHub, Jira, Slack, Bitbucket, Octopus Deploy, and more for even greater visibility. Visit raygun.com to resolve issues faster and to deliver flawless digital experiences to your users. That's raygun.com to get started on your 14-day free trial with plans starting from as little as $4 per month. Back to the show. All right, CJ, we have a bunch of news that we want to run through today. We've got stuff throughout general Microsoft stuff. We've got Windows stuff. We've got Microsoft 365, Azure, Visual Studio. You've even snuck in a flight simulator link in here. And we've got a listener (laughs) pick. So... Why don't, you, all going on. why don't you say we dive in? Sounds great. So would you like to start? Go for it. Oh, no, go for it. I will go for it then. I'm going to start with uh, Microsoft 365. A bit of news here, something a, a little graphy. The Microsoft Graph, they have mm-hmm. a new API. I guess it's not new because it has been in preview. But on June 16th, Microsoft Graph announced that their assignments API is now generally available on the V1 endpoint. This is part of like their education API that is going to allow people to do things like uh, create Mark your kids' assignments not as late. Exactly. Yeah, you could do exactly. That's one thing you could do. It allows you to do things of creating an assignment, publishing an assignment, creating assignment resources, submission re- submit resources, submitting assignments, unsubmitting assignments. 
Hold on a second now. That was never an option for me when I was in school. No, you had to take the stone tablet back. Exactly, yeah. Returning grades mm-hmm. and feedback to a student, uh, getting the assignment details. So it's a bunch of uh, new APIs that are available here in Microsoft Graph that have been released nice. to GA. Very cool, very cool. All right, so Sachin Adela is now not only the CEO of Microsoft, but he is also the chairman of the board of Microsoft too. Oh, the BMOC. The what? Big man on campus. <laughs> oh, I, I kind of already was that. Yeah, so a, a guy called John Thompson used to be chairman who succeeded Bill Gates back in 2014 and who who is staying on the board, is not leaving the board, but Sarcher is taking over as chairman, which, um, which is pretty cool, actually. I mean, he's obviously doing a bang-up job. And, uh, you know... It's not spelt out in this, but I wonder if Sarch is getting ready to leave as CEO. Ooh, you think? I wonder. Why do you think yeah. that? Or why do you wonder? He's been CEO for quite a while now, mm-hmm. and it's a big job. He's a super busy guy. He doesn't need to do it anymore. He's made a lot of money out of it. And I, sus- I just have this inkling that he's up, he's up for doing something else. And I think this move to being chairman is the first part of that puzzle to be placed and that he he still wants to remain involved in Microsoft, but probably not as CEO. I have absolutely nothing to back this up. It is just a hunch. Hmm. That's interesting. I'm willing to bet in the next, I don't know, year to a year and a half, he'll leave. Wow, that's a big bet. So you think yeah, by the end know. of 2022 that they will on, be on a CEO Search or they'll name a new CEO. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So at, at work, yeah, they will either yeah. have a new. Okay. They'll name a new CEO. Huh. So I mean, it's not uncommon yeah. for an individual to serve. See, I had a different take on this. I I think that to me, like CEO, you have a, you have a lot of people that run companies mm. are CEO, or you have people who are also chairman of the boards, or you have people who are also CEO and chairman of the board. Yeah. Yeah. To me, this I read this as something different. I saw this more as an affirmation that. The board saying, Sacha, we you do a fantastic job of running the company, which is exactly you know what we want you to do. But the yeah. board is also like oversight guidance on the company. And to me, it is more of a doubling down going, we really buy into your vision on this. And we think that this should that you we want to put you as a chairman of the board to also kind of help steer the direction of where this company is going, not just the execution, but also the big vision of where we should go. And I, yeah. that's kind of what my take is on it. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't disagree with that either. Like, I, I think that's that there's definitely truth to that for sure. And having him, you know, oversee the board. But I don't know, there's just this little, hmm. when I read it, I was like, ooh, he's getting ready to leave. And I don't know where that came from. Hmm. Just a thought. Well, makes for we'll see. It makes for a good episode. It's a good job. I mean, he's been with Microsoft for a really long time. Yeah. And if I was that wealthy and accomplished, I'd be... And his age, I'd also be personally, I'd be like, eh, time to check out. Mm. So I can, uh, who knows? Yeah, I can understand that. I just kind of feel it's a, oh man, I, he's doing such a good job. It's kind of like a, oh my God, yeah. like I would be more concerned, yeah. like as close as I am to seeing what's going on with Microsoft, I would be more concerned with him leaving than I would if I was in the same role at Amazon seeing Bezos leaving or at the same role at Apple and seeing Tim Cook leaving. Like, yeah, I see them less of 
being as being less of a cornerstone of the company than I do seeing Sacha as being all right. He really has a good beat on what's going on on where this company should go. So yeah, might be fun to watch. I guess we'll see if I'm right. I don't know. Mm. Just a hunch. CJ is now giving advice to sell your stock. No, we're, we don't. We are, we're not doing that. Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not selling mine. So I don't know. But yeah, I guess just reading the tea leaves. Mm. Or the tarot cards. <laughs> Whatever you're into, man. Whatever floats your boat. Yeah. I've got a bit of news here from the Microsoft 365 group, specifically from Jared Spataro. This came out in their blog on uh, June 17th. It's titled New Hybrid Work Innovations in Microsoft Teams, uh, Teams Rooms, Fluid, in Microsoft Viva. There's a bunch of stuff in this post. The the skinny on it is they're doing a their talk around uh, Microsoft Teams Rooms is they're talking about saying that they want you to be able to participate with other people in the meeting on equal footing, either if you're at home, if you're on site, or if you're on the go. So they have this feature that they're rolling out called uh, Front Row in Team Rooms. It's like an immersive layout that makes interactions feel more natural and says it gives participants a greater sense of uh, connection to the remote participants. Okay. Different light video layouts. You can pin videos from multiple streams to where it's not just like pinning one person and spotlighting them, but you can pin like three people. So I see that like as like the like the White House situation room where it's like, we're gonna only pin the people that are sitting at the table, not all of the the support staff that are Once around the wall. The back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's things around some new like uh some hardware-based uh, things like Teams Rooms on Surface Hub experiences, some whiteboard collaboration stuff that you can see, a bunch of stuff like that that they've got that they're talking about with Teams. It feels very much a kind of like a roll-up post of here's a bunch of updates that we're doing. It's hard to keep track of the updates that Teams has got going on because they're always doing new updates, but it still feels like it's just a lot of stuff that's being thrown at this platform that which is hard to keep track of everything that's going on with it. But it's a good little roll-up yeah. and good summary of stuff that they've recently announced. Yeah, I love the momentum of just incremental new stuff in Teams. It's good. Mm-hmm. I've always got something coming that makes it a little a little easier, usually. So, big news and leaks this week. First one off the cards is that Windows 10 will be retired in 2025 as it starts to unveil the next iteration of its new OS. So, um, yeah, so... October 2025, there'll be no new updates or security fixes for the either the home or the pro versions. I don't know how that impacts enterprise versions. I think that will take a little longer because I don't think giving enterprises four years, even though we live in a constantly updating world these days, you know, I don't think that's achievable for a lot of companies. So I'm not sure how it impacts enterprise. But back in... So 2025, the the home and pro versions will go away, making way for the new Windows 11 version, which has started to leak online. So um, we've got some pointers to here. It's quite funny. The leaks are quite hilarious because, you know, some people are like, oh, awesome, a new Windows 11. It's got rounded corners and a new file explorer. (laughs) So I saw someone say something that the, uh, the start menu button moved. Is that true? Yeah, it does look that way. It's sort of all of the things are centered on your start button as opposed to being off on the bottom left. Here's my guess on that. Like that to me makes a lot of sense because anybody with an ultra wide despises the start button being in the bottom left. At least, well, not anybody, I suppose. That's probably a bit of a vast generalization, but I really hate it. 
because you've got to go packing off around in the left-hand corner. Although there is, if you've ever read Jensen Harris's various blog posts, like the corners of the screen are like sacred territory Mm -hmm. because you can zip a mouse to those corners and you don't have to be very precise, right? Because your mouse pointer stops typically. So it's, those are like really important areas of the screen. So I don't know, like it'll be interesting to see, you know, the, the number of clicks that hit the start versus click off the start because of speed and not and accuracy not being the same because it's not in the corner. That will be interesting. But yeah, we're talking about centering the stuff. It's got a bunch of around corners, some new UI, new file explorer stuff. That's what we've mostly seen so far. Oh, and a new startup sound, the most important part. <laughs> The first thing that everybody disables. You know, it's funny, this whole, people started saying that the start menu moved. And it's not like the move from like Windows 7 to Windows 8 when all of a sudden it's like, hey, totally new screen. It's really, it's just like taking all that stuff that was in the, that was pinned to the left. It's just like going in and like selecting all the icons and saying center on the taskbar. Yeah, they can't be using CSS for this because we all know how to, uh, hard it is to center stuff in CSS. Exactly. But yeah. what's funny about it is that I've seen <laughs> I've seen so many people that pin all this stuff in their start bar in their taskbar or whatever it is and the, the thing that goes across the bottom. So if you have enough stuff in there, the start menu is going to end up making its way all the way over to the left side again anyway. It's not like yeah. it's really you centered. Can it. You can move it anyway. It's not you still get a choice. Yeah. I, yeah. Mm. Here's the thing. It's like I hope there's more to it than just a few UI enhancements. Yeah. Otherwise I don't get it. Like deck chairs on the Titanic. I'm just right. I don't mean that as like Windows is the Titanic and it's going down. You're rearranging the deck chairs. Like what's the, like what's the impact? It's a pointless exercise. Yeah. yeah. So it. I mean, it's. I saw these some of these sneak peeks and stuff that were coming out from you know people from that the Chinese site that people have posted on the Chinese site Baidu, and it, mm-hmm. I mean it's yeah there's screenshots and that's what everyone's going to you know gawk over but. I'll just wait for the event to come out and kind of say, like, all right, what are you really doing? Like, what's a big deal? Because changing the UX, I mean, anybody can go paint something. So I just, I'm curious, like, what What else? Yeah, what are you doing with this? What's really different about this? So, I don't know, I'm curious to see. I would love to see a feature that basically says, we will stop notifying you so much with so many sounds in Windows. That would be an improvement to Windows for me. It is such a noisy app. Oh, noisy. The number of notifications that you get in Windows, Mm -hmm. like, I... I'm a Mac person, but I have to use Windows for a couple things. And every time I go over there, I just start working. And it's just like going, hey, did you want to try this? Did you want to try this? I'm like, oh, my God, I want to work. I'm trying to do a screencast right now. Would you stop putting all these stupid notifications on yeah, here? Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Anyway. I, um, I, when I was traveling, I went back to using my Mac laptop. Mm-hmm. I'm on a Windows desktop. But, man, I just felt so awkward, like switching, Mm. your muscle memory Mm -hmm. is all over the show, right? And I just felt very awkward fumbling around. Mm -hmm. It was was quite odd. But, you know, you get used to it quite quick again. It was just strange switching. Apparently, it says, Microsoft says its successor will rep from Windows 10, so Windows 11, will represent one of the most significant updates to the OS in the past decade. I guess that wouldn't be that hard. It could just be rounded corners. <laughs> yeah, are we doing a, are we doing like a Windows? Uh, I mean, I know they say this. I mean, to me, I always am kind of looking to see like, you know, what is really different here? It just these all seem like incremental things because going all the way back, a big change is when we went from Windows 3.1 to, or Windows 95 to when we got the start menu and, and Windows XP. That was a big jump. But since then, yeah. it's like everything's just been like a, 
okay, Vista was a big jump because they had to take the security hammer, you know, to really lock things down. And that affected a lot of things. But beyond that, it's like, they're all just incremental little changes. Like it's a new, it's an, it's, you put new shutters on the house or you painted the cut, you painted the house a different color. Yes. There's some things that are different. Yes. There's some big architectural things that go on, but it doesn't feel like it's a big change. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, so windows 10 is five years old, right? Came out. July 15th. Oh, no, it's more than that now. 2015, so it's like six years old. Mm-hmm. And um, is that right? Oh. Yeah, something like that. So it's, uh, you know, it has had plenty of iterations over the years, but I guess they're doing a, a major release because they can, you know, they think they're changing enough major stuff. Mm. Well, but let's see what happens in the uh, in the event and hear what they've got to say about it all. Yeah, I'd be curious to see. What if their stuff yeah. is specifically built for Surface? When is the Maybe, event? Yeah, it could be. In, oh, you put me on the spot. I did. I don't know now. In, I think it's end of June. Is that right? Sounds right. Windows event. Let's see. June 24th. It's June 24th. There we go. At 11 a.m. Eastern. Mm-hmm. On the fly research. Look at that. And the big showman, Panos Pane, with that never smiles. We will get the, he will be, is apparently he's the, uh, Nadella and Pane will launch the new OS at a virtual event. On June 24th. Interesting. Mm-hmm. We get Sacha, who will, I, I like, like, don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but he says the same thing every time. Yep. And then Panos will be trying to imitate Steve Jobs yeah. and like blind optimism. And yeah, anyway, I guess we'll see what happens. We will see. Let's report back. All right. I've got one more thing around the Microsoft 365 space. Uh, it's kind of specific to Teams, but it really applies to a lot of different places, including Outlook. This technology adaptive cards that Microsoft has had for helping you implement UI, like forms and displaying information and stuff. I'm a big fan. I like it as a developer. It's like I like to just kind of express how I want my what I want to show in my UX. And I want to let it look and get rendered the same way everywhere. I really like that. I know that designers would be like, ah, no, I want to you know put things in a very specific way. But as a developer, I like not being able to worry about that stuff. Well, they talked about this at Build. They now have this new thing called Universal Actions for Adaptive Cards that have evolved primarily from uh, feedback from developers. The layout and rendering is universal in the past. What this is really doing is it's giving us like action handling is what's going to be universal to it. So there are four main scenarios that we're getting from Universal Actions. Um, We got Universal Actions, you've got user-specific views, sequential workflow support, and up-to-date views. Universal Actions are going to allow us to have uh, a very specific like submission routine. So like in when you're Microsoft Teams or when you're in bots, we used to have these two different things. We either had action.submit or, and then in Outlook, we have one called action.http. Now we're just going to have a single one called action.execute and it will behave the way it's supposed to behave in each one of the different clients, the different experiences. User-specific views is going to be able to have, let us have like a uh, have an adaptive card that's only supposed to be displayed in a certain way to specific people so that you can have things get resolved in a certain way. Sequential workflow support is allowing you to kind of kind of step through like a wizardy kind of experience and to say, you know, I want this card, then this card, then this card, then this card. Very uh, common scenario for like uh, like submitting an order or like going through a ticketing system. Mm. And then up-to-date views, what these are, are they're going to be updated. With adaptive cards, you can update these things automatically. What these things are going to allow us to do is we can update cards. 
what the views will allow us to do is to make it easier for us to do these updated cards based on the current state. So we don't have to sit there and us going to have to manifi- modify the different cards. It's like, you know, if it's in this state, we want to be able to use this card. So mm-hmm. that's the gist of a lot of the stuff that we have. There's a, some sessions about it or some talk about it from uh, that came out of the Build 2021 conference about universal actions. And I've got a link here to a blog post in our show notes uh, that talked about it. Nice. Getting more universal. More universal. Now, before we go on to some more news, we got some stuff around Visual Studio and Azure, and uh, well, you snuck our flight our uh, flight simulator link in there. We do have some exciting news that we want to highlight real quick. Is that we do have a new sponsor who's joining this show, a company by the name of Geomat. They well, you know what? Probably best if we just kind of roll their spots so that people can learn what they do. Let's do it. This podcast is brought to you by Geomap. Have you thought about adding contact center capabilities into your existing Microsoft Teams user base? If so, take advantage of our promo to add BuzzEasy Contact Center for Teams from Geomat and get your first month subscription for free. It's a complete omni-channel experience that works seamlessly with Teams Voice. BuzzEasy was developed with best practices in Azure and offers a rich, easy-to-use experience. Geomant is a Microsoft Gold partner and part of the technology adoption program, and their BuzzEasy chatbot solution for Microsoft Teams has been chosen as a preferred solution on the Microsoft App Store. See the show notes for details around our special offer. And now, back to the show. Awesome. Well, hey, thank you very much for Geomant for supporting the show and sponsoring the show. We really appreciate it. The listeners appreciate it, too, because sponsors are what allow us to make this show, well, we hope make this show a higher quality <laughs> show and not just have CJ and I mixing things down and stuff. So thank you very much for your support. And hey, if it's something that you're interested in to all of our listeners, check out the show notes, check out the link, the information that's sent out in the emails that you get as part of our mailing list for special offers if you're interested in the uh, call center support stuff that they have that integrates with Microsoft Teams. Yeah, and let them know that you appreciate them supporting the show as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Shall we carry on with some news? Let's carry on. You got some Azure or some Visual Studio do eat news? <laughs> yes. I've <laughs> That doesn't sound right. That's a mouthful. It was. <laughs> okay, so Visual Studio 2022 is now a thing and it's out in preview. Preview one is available. The big thing with this release is that Visual Studio is now going to be 64-bit. So it too can be like Chrome and gobble up all of your memory. <laughs> I thought it already did that, but okay. No, apparently, apparently, you know, really large, complicated projects were hitting some of the memory limits in Visual Studio. They're moving the main, although you can build 64-bit apps using Visual Studio, the actual main app itself was only a 32-bit app. That is surprising so, to me. It still was only 32-bit. Yeah. So guess what the pain they're going through is right now? Mm, the pain the Excel team went through, I don't know, a decade ago? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet. Yeah. No, I'm specifically talking about all of those add-ins that you like to use with Visual Studio, like ReSharper, for example. Mm. So right now, there are some limitations on what you can do in, in Preview 1. But all of those partners that are building, like ReShot, like JetBrains and all that, people that have built uh, add-ins and things like that for Visual Studio are porting their stuff to 64-bit as well. So it's going to be a little while before that stuff comes. But there's some goodness in there. You know, 64-bit is the big feature, I think, but they're also updating icons. So there's that. There's better support for .NET 6, .NET MAUI, MAUI. Blazor apps. 
Maui. What is Maui? Maui is, gosh, I don't even know what it stands for, but it's the- I know it's a beautiful location, but- It's the new multi-platform.net. So- Ah, oh yeah, okay, yeah. You, Yeah. You'll be able to build apps that cross like iOS and Android, Mac and Windows, UI from one set of code. Gotcha, okay. That's my- it's sort of like the next version of Xamarin, I suppose. Hmm. As a way to sort of the evolution of Xamarin, I suppose. So um, yeah, .NET Maui is the is the effort that's doing that. Hmm. And then there's a few other bits and pieces, real time collab, you know, screen sharing, things like that. And they're also doing a 2022 version of Visual Studio for the Mac as well. So some updates coming for that, even though they're completely different apps. Well, that's cool. Yeah. I know you don't use Visual Studio much, but obviously there are lots of people out there that do. Oh no, it's a great, it's a fantastic yeah. development platform. I mean, I, I I like the lightweight development experience that like VS Code gives me. I like I like working more in just one. I'm a big fan of using TypeScript. I know it's not nearly as fast as a compiled language, but I also know that the stuff that I build isn't as that's is important for that stuff and. I mean, my preference of it is just more that this thing's kind of my entire tool chain is yeah. the same for both client side and server side. So that's that's the reason I like it. I like working with TypeScript, but nothing against .NET. It's, it's not, it, I, I totally get the 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 appeal of it. So I mean, you can totally you can do .NET and Visual Studio Code, no problem. No. Like, but it is a much. I still think it's a much more productive experience in Visual Studio, specifically for .NET code. Yeah, it makes sense. Like even even .NET Core. Just with things like ReSharper and and a bunch of the refactoring tools and all that sort of stuff, but anyway, it's personal preference at this point, I think. Yeah, totally. It's nice having options. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I've got a kind of a random one for the main body of the show, and this, I guess, I'm sneaking this in. Yeah, I guess it should really be a pick. <laughs> just maybe, but I'm just kidding. You know, the, the just maybe the tenuous link to it being cloud related, I admit, is tenuous. <laughs> Microsoft Flight Simulator is coming to Xbox Series X and S on July the 27th. So this is pretty sweet. Now, the way it, you know, I've played this on PC, but the cloud link is pretty interesting. I was explaining to my dad the other day how all of their, they do procedural generation for the world, all the global mapping stuff. Like there's, there's a petabyte of data or something like that mm. up in the cloud that it draws from for mapping the whole world using Bing and, and, um, and a bunch of sort of AI type stuff to to go generate the world. And that's my link to the cloud. Okay, cool. <laughs> I'm not going to sell it any more than that. It's pretty incredible. And it, there's a great video specifically about how they do it in the cloud with all the mapping data and stuff. It's, it's pretty interesting. So if you're interested, go check this out. But yeah, it's coming to Xbox. I will go check that out. You know, I, we have a, we, uh, you think they'll ever come up with an Xbox Series E? Why? Well, we have a Series X and we have a Xbox Series... Xbox E? We have a Series X and we have a Series S. Oh, I see. Yeah. I mean... There you go. I don't know. Then it can be an Xboxy. And if... Well, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Going back to the Tesla thing. Or it might be a three. <laughs> they might have to do a three. Right, right. right. No, I don't think they're that uh, witty. I got a bit of news here that I, I found... This has piqued my interest... <laughs> It kind of surprised me, and I started diving in to see how they did this. Not so much being like on the critical side, more or less just the curiosity side, but Microsoft has opened up a new data center. And the big bit about this one is they talk about it being a sustainable data center. So Mm -hmm. energy, water, all that stuff around. But it's in Arizona. It's called called West US3. And 
the reason it kind of piqued my interest, I'm like going, wait, if you're talking about like a sustainable data center, a data center's got a huge draw on power and a huge draw on usually on water because you got to keep things cool. And Arizona yeah. isn't really known for being cool and known no. for being full of water. Full of water, right? It's in the middle of the desert. So I started reading a little bit about this. It is a big push towards uh, solar power. So they worked with a local utility to have a solar plant, to work in, in their local solar plant that's located in the Phoenix area, a place called Maricopa County. Well, if you're in the United States, you follow the election, you know we where Maricopa County is. <laughs> Are they still in that arena counting vote? <laughs> Is that still happening? Something like that. Yeah, yeah I'll pass on that. <laughs> the, um, but there's that one. The other one that was a big one is you got to keep data center uh, d- uh, servers cool and data, ser- data centers cool. And that's usually done with air conditioning. Well, it's almost always done with air conditioning. And yeah. the, way you, the way air conditioning works is water is a big part of air conditioning. And what they've been able to do is there is something called, ad- I'm going to mess this pronunciation of this up. The Microsoft's Arizona data centers will use zero water for cooling for more than half the year. They're leveraging a method called adiabatic, adiabatic. I'm just going to, I was probably screwed that up, uh, cooling, which uses the outside air instead of water for cooling when temperatures are below 85 degrees Fahrenheit. When they're above 85 degrees Fahrenheit, like, I don't know, probably all the, most of the time in Arizona, yeah. an evaporative cooling system is used, which operates like, quote, swamp coolers in residential homes. It's highly efficient, uses less electricity and a fraction of the water used by other water-based cooling systems, such as cooling towers. In addition, they're pursuing, well, there's more that goes on there. But I found that to be really interesting, how they were how they were going to keep everything cool and how this stuff works. More just from the tech side, I was just curious. But yeah, so new data center in the hmm. middle of the desert that's focused on sustainability. Cool. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool that they can make that work. That cooling sounds more like a heat pump than... Aircon. It does. Yeah. Like we, like that's how we, it, that's how we have a heat pump on our hot water heater that is our hot water heater generates significant or s- consumes significantly less electricity for the majority of the year. It basically mm. has an air conditioner sitting on top of the hot water heater in our garage. So it's a, it's yeah. like a normal hot water heater, but then it's got this big black thing on top of it. And when somebody is using, so when the hot water is being drained out, so doing the dishes, washing machine, showers, or whatever. It gets noisy in the garage, but it's like a free air conditioner in the garage because it's using the ambient heat from the air in the garage instead of electricity to heat the water and the hot water heater. And even though our hot water heater is set at like 115, 120 degrees, it can heat water as long as the temperature is above 65 degrees. Interesting. It's really, it's pretty interesting. It's pretty cool, yeah. Oh my God, the power consumption on it and our price went, or the the electric bill on it went way down when we installed it. That's cool. Five plus years ago, but, and we got a free air conditioner in our garage out of it, which is really nice when you're pulling in a hot car into a garage and it's heating the room up. So it's like, should we not park the cars there? Like, no, 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 that's actually helping us heat the water. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's costing us less. Nice. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Right. Anything else, or should we move on? We got a couple of links that we that we put in the show notes there for Azure, but we can. Uh, one of them is story about Microsoft executives had some workers like slept in data oh, yeah. centers during Sleeping the lockdown. In the data centers. And then yep. there's something around for those of you who are freaking out about five G. There's some stuff about five uh, G and um, Azure, and <laughs> it's it's a uh, there's an. I did read this, and I was like, 
we have a lot of vaccinated people in the US now. Are they saying you are the edge computing? Mm. <laughs> that's kind. I mean, that's part. That's kind of nice, right? Maybe the, the cloud's gotten a lot bigger. It's a mesh network. That's what I was thinking. Everybody's got chips in them now, mm-hmm. and now we can be the edge computing. One back, <laughs> one one injection at a time. Our mesh network is getting awesome. We are actually the Borg. We're getting there. Yeah. Okay. Let's dive into some picks. How's that sound? Perfect. ACs Voitanos delivers on-demand video-based training for developers on the latest SharePoint extensibility model from Microsoft in his course, Mastering the SharePoint Framework. Back to the show. All right, CJ, I'm going to start with our first pick is from a listener. He's submitted picks in the past many times, Victor Reeland over in Sweden. He submitted one that kind of builds off on our the talk we've had recently about ransomware and stuff. There's a hotel that I believe it's a Dutch hotel, a Danish hotel, Denmark. Yeah, Danish. Yeah, Danish. That they were they recently were part of like ransomware, but or they were part of uh, victims of a ransomware attack. And it is, it's they like it kind of like live blogged the entire experience that they're going through. It's a really interesting read running through it. So it's interesting. It is. There's. Wichter sent this along, and then there was an article from Krebs on Security that talked about a, a lady, a Latvian lady, who recently got arrested in Miami. She's traveling through from South America back to Latvia, or they don't know where she was traveling to, but through from South America, she was traveling through Miami. And the Justice Department, Department of Justice, arrested her for running a botnet for ransomware stuff. But it also kind of came back. They talked a little bit about how the government was able to claw back money from the colonial pipeline. I should go find that link and throw it in here. It was it was it was pretty interesting just seeing like how they went through how the recruiting process works for these people that Correct. are running these ransomware things, how they find developers, how eventually these developers are read in. It is interesting. Wow, I'm, I'm going to read this. I'm going to throw that in. It's there. pretty pretty interesting walking through all of their ransomware pain. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah. I'll have a, I'll definitely read that. That looks good. So what you got for us? Okay. You might like this one. This is a bit of a home automation thing, Ooh. I guess. Sort Well, sort of. Not really home automation. I guess it's, it's, it's lighting related, but for PCs. So maybe you wouldn't like this one because you're a <laughs> Mac user. So I don't know if it's ever driven you nuts, any listeners out there, where you've got a PC and it uses RGB things, right? Mm-hmm. So it's and, you know, you might have RAM that has lights on it. You might have your PC case has lights on it. Your, your fans might have lights. But depending on the manufacturer, you get apps from all different companies to configure those things. And they've all got to be running on your PC all at the same time. So you might have three or four different apps running just to control the lights in your, in your PC. Some people really like this stuff. There is a new tool, an open source tool called OpenRGB, which is sort of the one app to replace all of those apps and consolidate your lighting configuration and management all into one app oh. for your PC. So if you're a PC enthusiast and you have lights in your case, then you should go check this out because you can get rid of like Corsair stuff, Logitech stuff, Razer stuff, all these different apps. You know, NZXT, like depends on what case you've got, things like that. And it's all open source and it connects to all these other, all these products to, uh, to control them. That's pretty cool. Yeah, kind of helpful. Reduce your RAM usage and the bloatware from these vendors, mm. basically. That's always nice. Yeah. How about you? What do you got for us this week? I'm going back to the Apollo program. I know it's about a bit of uh, a, a bit of a surprise, and I know people are tired of it, except for you, probably. No, this looks great. So I found this blog post, and it's about 
One of the most underappreciated aspects of the Apollo program and all the Apollo launches to the moon was how much testing was required. Shocker. So, of course, Mm. what did NASA do? They built a specific thing to help them with this. It's called the Computer Buffer Unit. It's a 16-bit shift register that interfaced with test equipment, interface test equipment to the Apollo guidance computer. It's this thing, like back then it was revolutionary. Today it's fairly trivial. But basically it was like about a five-pound unit, took a bunch of transistors, and they used this to help go through and test the real hardware and the the flight software wow. for the Apollo program, for the guidance computer. That's so cool. It is. Yeah, it is fascinating looking back at the stuff and reading. It's a nice write-up, nice long write-up about this uh, about this tool. It's essentially a tool, right? It's like what we would, you know, when you had F5 in Visual Studio and you can mess around with things and mm. do stuff. Like, but this is one of those tools in the toolbox for them to do, do that with Apollo guidance computer. Yeah, so think like all you devs that are out there, think like... You normally do this stuff with software today, but when you have hardware units, you need to be able to instrument like the hard stuff going on with the hardware unit to be able to detect, you know, did this happen? Did that happen? And this is one of the ways, this is the way that they did it back then. So it's a, they just kind of walk through the details of what it was like for testing it and showing a bunch of pictures here inside the CBU, CBU, the control computer buffer unit. Right. So yeah, it's, it's. This stuff is so cool, like seeing how they did stuff back then and comparing it to how we do it today. And you're just like, man, this was really impressive what they did back then. So complicated. Oh, my God. Right? But actually a lot simpler than what we've got today. It really, yeah. But, you know, but, you know it's, it's, I guess now it's just all below the surface. Yeah. The complexity is below the surface. Yeah. Right? Whereas you look at this and you're like, man, that it would be really hard to build a system like this. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's a lot simpler than our computers today. It's the hardware implementation of building a mock. How's that? True. Very true. Yeah. Now you just get like a mocking framework and away you go. There you go, yeah. Instead, instead, you had to build a five-pound box. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Nobody was asking the question back then of, why aren't we using dependency injection so I can easily like mock this up? Yeah. No. Some engineer yeah. said, we're going to build a box to do this. Curious. It's cool stuff. Curious. Cool stuff. I saw in the, in the series where they resurrected the Apollo guidance computer, they also had a similar unit that they plugged into the guidance computer to essentially mock the memory modules, I believe. Ah, uh, yes. It was. The rope memories. Right, so yeah. the rope memory. So rather than having to, you know, you find a bug, have to re- re-rope the rope, they had kind of an interface unit that mocked the memory and pretended to be the memory, and then they could, you know, give the computer new programs without having to re-weave the rope memory. Yeah. Pretty cool. Very cool. Fascinating stuff. It really yeah. is. Nice picks. Absolutely. So good good fun there. Good picks. Playing with RGB, testing out the Apollo program, and... And watching a hotel get hacked. And watching a hotel get hacked. <laughs> I did put the link to the Krebs on Security one. You would you'd like that, too. I threw that in with, next to Wichter's pick. So we'll have that okay. in the show notes as well about how do you hire a... It shows how the hiring process for ransomware networks, how it works, how they get paid, and like the economics behind it. There's a little bit of that in there that's really interesting. Like, I should have made this my pick. There's a part in there where it basically said you there's a ransomware, like the software that's provided, but then if you can create the infection that uses the software, you're going to get 85% of the ransom that's actually collected. Only 15% goes to the network. Huh. And that's how usually when these ransomware things get taken down, it's from the person that opened it up 
and exposes the underlying platform. So the person that got the 85% is what screwed it up. So that's why that, was it called Dark Sky that went, that did the colonial pipeline hack? Why they like so yeah. quickly got shut down is because the person that actually hacked them or the organization that, that hacked them and installed the ransomware, their op security was so poor that the Department of Justice was able to infiltrate it, claw back the money, and ultimately, mm. that's how they got into Dark Sky and drained their accounts and they're locked out their servers and stuff. Gotcha. It's pretty cool. That's a fun raid. Yeah, definitely. Check that out. All right. I think that's it for the week. Sounds good. Have a good week, everybody. Catch you next time. Take it easy, everybody. Did you like this episode? Please tweet about it and drop a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find out about our show and grow the audience, and we would really appreciate it. If you got a question for us, go to microsoftcloudshow.com slash questions, where you can submit it as text or record it as a wave or an MP3 and provide a link to it so that we can play your question on the show. You can also subscribe to us in Apple Podcasts, in the Google Play Store, Spotify, or your podcatcher of choice. And finally, sign up to our mailing list by heading over to our website, microsoftcloudshow.com. You'll get notices of each new episode as well as the show notes sent directly to you each week. We'll be back with another episode next week. Thanks for listening.